Good day, witches, and welcome back to Makepeace Cottage. We gather again in the light half of the year, and we celebrate all that renewal of energy. Ostara, the spring equinox, was just over a week ago, and already her touch can be seen throughout these Ozark Hills. Look around. Yellow daffodils are fully bloomed, and the apple trees have bright green buds along each branch. The threat of a hard frost and mischievous leprechauns both seem to be gone now. Friday is April 1st, and the fool's journey in the tarot is calling for perhaps a year-long intentional devotion. Animal life has come back too. The birds and young frogs alike fill the air with full-throated song at both dawn and dusk. It's time to tune up the lawnmower and tractor, and also let the young fire dragon out of his winter cave. It's still a bit chilly though, so we'll wear a warm sweater as we take our cups of honey and blackberry tea out onto the front porch once again. Go ahead, pull up one of those sturdy hand-woven wicker chairs and join me, Hester Makepeace, the Cottage Witch. I'm going to begin today by trying to define cottage witchery. It is not necessarily an easy thing to do, but for me, it has always incorporated home, the cottage, and nature, outdoors, and various domestic, spiritual, and crafty pursuits. It's also sort of about a simple, creative, spiritual, and crafty lifestyle. It absolutely can be about the decor and various pursuits that go along with such a lifestyle, too. My actual witchy craftiness is usually focused on me, my family and pets, our land and home, and the sacred times, spaces, and traditions that sing to me or call to me. I also definitely incorporate divination, sometimes to see or understand the future, but far more often to understand the present and look inside rather than looking ahead. What are some of those foundational crafts? We've already talked about many of them cooking and baking, sewing and fabric arts, journaling with color and stickers and tapes, painting and coloring along witchy and nature themes, writing and podcasting, novels and nonfiction both. I think I will soon try my hand at recording and discussing classic audiobooks because for me, stories and study are part of cottage witchery too. I would likely be reading some of those classic literary witchy books like The Scarlet Letter or Wuthering Heights, but I'm not sure. What I do know is that home-focused writers and protective deities and people who think and live independently and appreciate the spirit of the universe and the music of the spheres are what I'm interested in. From the smallest field mouse to the tallest sunflower and most majestic mountain, and even our older, more mystical, but perhaps far less majestic Ozark Hills, I am interested in discovering again and again our small place in this grand universe, in discovering the sweet and simple ways of life and rejoicing in them. For me, all of that is cottage witchery. But where's the witchiness in all of that, you may ask? Oh, we witches are definitely there. Sometimes we are directing the energy of the spheres and of our own intentions. Furthermore, the longer we watch and learn and practice, the more we understand about the universe and our place within it. 
It's a never-ending pursuit with an infinite number of paths. We are always about the practice, even as we hibernate. We move through the wheel of the year again and again, but spiraling higher along it, not just repeating it. At home, we cook and sew and burn candles and incense, read and write notes. Outside, we walk along those well-worn paths, always observing. However, we don't always just observe. We also act, interact with our own particular piece of the earth and the universe. We absorb and project energy soaked in the essence of the elements that surround us. And those essential elements have been codified for centuries, even millennia, as the four or five elements of earth, air, fire, and water. The fifth is known as quintessence, literally the fifth essence, which is commonly called spirit. Medieval folk understood their whole world in terms of these elements, which to them described everything as they make up all matter. These elements also had defined places or domains within the world. Earth is the lowest, most foundational element. It's at the base or bottom of everything. Water is immediately above it. If you swim down to the bottom of a river or lake, you will find rocks and soil. That's earth. Above earth and then water is the third element, air. It is all around us. And while a watery rain certainly falls through the air, it is really only moving through air to seek its more natural place, ending up atop the earth. And finally, we have fire, the fourth element, present high above us in the sky as the sun and the stars. We've all watched fire at many points throughout our lives, and the flames always leap upward through the air, reaching toward the sky. And beyond the fiery sun and stars, in the highest part of the firmament, lives quintessence. There is the ultimate embodiment of spirit. It starts with earth and water above it, and then air, and then fire, and at the top is spirit. Furthermore, everything living and not living has movement, and movement is energy. The earth elements, the solids of modern science, move. The tiniest atoms and the even tinier subatomic particles that make up those atoms, the protons and neutrons, are all moving. Look at a table, a desk, a tree, a rock. All are made of atoms, and all of those atoms are slowly moving. That's science, and that's also some mind-blowing magic. Nothing, nothing in the entire universe is at rest. Energy is literally everywhere that is not void. And according to both science and magic, energy is a constant. It does not go away. It can change, certainly, but it does not go away. Where do we go when we die? Where does all of that energy firing around in our brain cells from synapse to synapse go? I don't know, but I do know it does not go away. It transmutes. It changes. We change as we shuffle off our mortal coil, but the energy within our physical being, some of us may call it soul, does not go away. We do not go away. That's some magical witchy stuff and spiritual stuff <laughs> and science.
you will also learn in biology and chemistry classes that the forms of matter move differently. Solids are slow movers. Liquid is much more, well, fluid and faster. And gaseous matter is bouncing around very quickly. That's our earth and water and air energy. Fire? Well, science calls that plasma, and it behaves quite strangely. But doesn't that make so much magical sense, too? Fire is so potent, and candle, cauldron, and cooking magic all commonly use its potency in our witchy spells and workings, from the most basic simples to the most elaborate rituals. For the next five or eight or so weeks, I'll be talking about each of these elements in turn. The next episode will be water. The dogs and the chickens are talking which I'm taking first for all of these spring showers. Then we'll talk all about the abundance of earth energy that simply explodes in April. We'll follow with a whole episode on air and breath and inspiration before heading into the power and complexity of fire. And then we'll focus on quintessence and spirit and the fey folk. There's a lot of good inspiration and good fun in store, including the magic of Beltane on May 1st. We're about to have some March shout outs and maybe a commercial here in the middle of our podcast. And then after that, we'll come back with Ostara and working with all of the spring energy. So keep tuned. Here are our March shout outs. First of all, we got an email from Hannah, the potions apprentice and Momo, her black cat, saying hello from the Pacific Northwest. What a lovely area in which to live, or even just dream about living in. And hello right back. Also, your blackberry cobbler looks scrumptious. Next, Teresa R. has started supporting the podcast. Hooray! And thanks, Teresa. Thank you so much. We are still very much the little podcast that could. And Teresa joins Amanda H., our very first supporter, which means... We are now up to two supporters, yay, and 270 unique listeners every episode with over 5,500 plays. Nope, that's not hundreds, but thousands. Way never my goal. I have always just wanted to reach out to like-minded, creative, and magical folk, and that is definitely happening. So feel free to email me at Hester. H-E-S-T-E-R, makepeace, M-A-K-E-P-E-A-C-E, at gmail.com. I'm still sending out that Blackberry Cobbler recipe if you'd like a copy too, by the way. And you can even find me on Facebook where I'm plain old Hester Makepeace. Or for the real techie folk, you can head over to anchorfm hester makepeace and leave me a voice message like our friend B did. All right, everybody, let's talk springtime. About 10 days ago on Sunday, March 20th, we had the vernal or springtime equinox, meaning the sun was exactly even with the earth. We had 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night. This day marks the first day of spring and is also the celebration of Ostara. This holiday's name likely comes from the Anglo-Saxon goddess Eostra, who represents springtime and other new beginnings. She's all about fertility, birth, and renewal. 
The Christian holiday of Easter shares several of these pagan roots as well. The rabbit or March hare is a symbol with both holidays, a symbol of rapid reproduction and the coming of spring, and has been so since medieval times and likely before. And you cannot have a more fundamental or quintessential. Notice how I just worked quintessence back into the podcast, by the way. Hmm. Quintessential symbol of rapid reproduction than an egg. That is why on Easter, we have Easter baskets full of chocolate bunnies and candy and real eggs. They are both symbols of fertility. Additionally, if you're like me, a pagan and Wiccan witch who also celebrates Easter, I like to say I like all of the gods and goddesses. I like all of the religions. I really do think that everybody is trying to explain the mysteries of the universe in ways that settle best with them. Anyway, if you also celebrate Easter, note that baskets too are ancient technology from as early as 27,000 BCE. That's 27,000 years before the birth of Christ before what is now called the common era and likely earlier than that baskets have been around forever. They were most commonly used for carrying food, but also as backpacks and baby carriers as cupboards and plates and cups and cradles and bird cages, and also as measuring cups, sandals, and for catching fish. According to Dr. Karen Carr from the quarter.us online study guides, and quarter is spelled Q-U-A-T-R, by the way. This year, I'm thinking I'll use actual grass and picked flowers to line our Easter baskets, which is so much more natural than store-bought strips of paper and plastic. But I'll still fill them with colorful, real, hard-boiled eggs, chocolatey treats, and a witchy gift or two. In the Makepeace household, we're always happy to let our pagan flags fly on holidays that were relatively recently laid over by Christian symbolism. But those earlier roots really do remain readily apparent. And don't get me wrong, I also love the story and philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth too. The dating of Easter, by the way, is based upon pagan and Jewish calendars. It's called a movable feast, occurring anywhere between March 22nd and April 25th. It is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, after that vernal springtime equinox. So this year, the equinox was on March 20th. The next full moon will be on April 16th, a Saturday. So the next Sunday is April 17th. So Easter this year is April 17th, the day after the full moon of April 16th, which is the first full moon after March 20th, the vernal equinox. It's a Christian tradition and a movable feast. So this celebration is, like so many others, laid directly atop pre-existing, thoroughly ingrained fertility practices and rituals. Thus, bunnies and eggs and baskets of spring greenery and flowers are still used to celebrate Jesus's resurrection. And it too follows the pagan rebirth and reawakening of the earth paradigm. So let's talk about those pagan celebrations. It's Ostara. Think springtime and flowers. 
Daffodils in particular, those earliest yellow flowers just bloomed here in the Ozarks on the very first day of spring. But also think about primroses and violets, crocuses and tulips. Oh, and colors decorate with bright green and yellow and purple and every single pastel anything you can find. There are some Ulstara altar ideas, which include colored eggs, of course, and seeds and feathers and spring flowers. In fact, any foliage sprouting or budding into leaf or flower right now. There's plenty of activities. Egg hunts are still the tradition. But go bird watching too. And bunny hop wholeheartedly with baskets. Decorate those baskets. Weave some ribbons around. Make some baskets. Baskets are definitely part of Ostara. Oh, and hot cross buns, my favorite. They are actually perfectly round buns with a perfectly evenly divided cross. They're actually Celtic crosses, which are again the intertwining of both Christian and pagan religions. I bet you've seen these typically tall, very thick stone crosses with a full circle right behind the crossing arms of the Christian cross. That is the combination of the ancient sun god, the circle, with the more modern Christian one, the cross. And it remains to this day a major Celtic symbol. Well, so too is the hot cross bun. It's a circular bun for the sun god, and it has the cross of four exactly equally divided arms. That cross also represents the two equinoxes crossed by the two solstices, by the way, creating the four seasons and the four sacred directions of north, east, south, and west, and the four or five elements of earth, air, fire, and water, with spirit at the very center. The circle represents the sun, but also the circle of the year and the circle of life with the still point of balance at its center. By the way, I have brazenly lifted this information from the website goddessandgreenman.co.uk, who in turn, and I'm quoting them, brazenly lifted it from Glenn Kindred's book titled Sacred Celebrations. Finally, many green witches are already starting, planning, and perhaps even planting their gardens. Here in the heart of North America, it's mostly too early to plant outdoors yet, but many garden witches will be planting their seeds in little soil cups right now to be ready for transplanting outdoors in early May. Here in the northern Ozarks in particular, the old farmer's rule of thumb is no full-scale outdoor planting until Mother's Day. And then it's all hands on deck for the full garden blowout. But now is a great time for early weeding and tilling. So feel free to get out into that soil. And that's it for today's show. I plan on seeing you back here at Make Peace Cottage in two weeks for a deep dive into the element of water. The perfect place to begin with our study of the elements amidst all of these refreshing and healing April showers. Oh, and we'll also have the crafty activity of making an indoor or outdoor rock cairn. Until then, merry meet and merry part until we merry meet again. Thanks so much for stopping by and visiting with me, Hester Makepeace, the Cottage Witch. <laughs>